Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Missed Apex Podcast Mugs. Buy a mug by going to www.missedapexpodcast.com forward slash buy stuff to learn more. Today's episode is called Nutsgate. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It is going amazingly fast in the chat room, but otherwise, it's going great. Do you know what happened to me this week? Tell me, you became an international superstar. I became an international super... Wait, how did you know that? Yes. Tell me, tell me. Well, I had gone back to the, you know, the place that I did the interview for the virtual reality racing. Well, it turns out there's a sweet shop very nearby, and I had been dispatched to buy special treats for the child. And I might have just accidentally stopped by to say hi, and then maybe paid some money to do some racing. And I'm standing there waiting to to take my turn. And this guy turns to me and says, are you, are you Matt? And I'm like, yeah, someone I don't know at all, taller than Anil. And he points at the trumpet on my back because I'd, I'd been to uh, I'd, I'd been uh, practicing with a friend earlier. And he's like, I recognize your instrument. I heard about this place on the podcast and I looked it up and I came here and that was it. So we have podcast listeners who now officially <laughs> recognize me from the podcast in New York City. International icon achievement unlocked. Yeah, it's awesome being recognized as podcast people. I've had it a couple of times, particularly at Joe Saywood's Meet Joe in London. Uh, that was really fantastic. And people are so kind about this show at the moment because we haven't mucked it up too much yet. Uh, it's an incredible reward for what we do, isn't it, Matt? Again, it just speaks to the community and, and uh, the tightness of our ensemble here. It's really fantastic. And yeah, what a buzz it was. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We've got some guests. We've got Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. Hi, Chris. Hey, Spanners. Our racing analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Good evening, everybody. Wonderful to be back. It's been far too long. And first time on the show, rookie Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Doing very well. Thank you. Don't be nervous. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, Matt Trumpets, first qualifying session. Now, for me, I had to get up at what was essentially 4am because our clocks went forward. So I had to watch the race sober. I mean, even I couldn't stretch to having a drink at 4am. And I have to say, it was painful trying to get up. I'm quite good at getting up early. I'm not good at going to bed early. I guess you guys over there just stayed up until it started. Well, actually, my qualifying story is is a bit more sad than that. I I set my alarm. I took a. I was going to take a little nap. I was very tired. It was a busy Friday, because it was Friday night basically for us. Start of Saturday morning for qualifying, and I set my alarm. I'm like, oh, got to cut off my do not disturb, and I did. And then I opened my eyes, and it's two o'clock, which is when the qualifying. Literally, the moment qualifying started, I opened my eyes and I went. Hmm. Clearly something went very wrong here. And so I had to run in and, and catch up as best I could. So, you know, how, how did you find it? You, you got up just in time to find uh, everything much the same as it was last season. When we look at qualifying, when we look at this whole race, the story of this season is basically the teams that have evolved versus the teams that have revolved. And so by that, I mean, essentially teams like Mercedes and Haas and, and Renault really are, are, are carrying over a lot of DNA from last year's last year's car as a result they're on it pretty much from the start and that's compared to like ferrari which has the longer wheelbase and mclaren which of course brought a bunch of updates toro rosso and uh force india both mclaren and toro rosso with their brand new engines and then we just have like the lost teams which i'd say williams and to an extent sauber uh what you were saying matt i um i have to agree with i mean you look at the the three cars that have changed the most between 2017 and 2018, the Williams, the Sauber, and they are the lost teams, and the Ferrari. And of the of the big three at the moment, you'd have to say they are number three. Yeah, and and the interesting thing about that to me uh, is that you're looking, you're talking about how much potential can they now unlock from these cars. If you're Mercedes, if you're Haas, you're looking for marginal gains. If you're Ferrari you have the potential for a very big step to happen as you really begin to understand the behavior and the dynamics of the car on track. See, it's it's funny. It's almost like a reverse of, of last year where Mercedes uh, had the, the, the more potential to develop throughout uh, the season, whereas this year it's, it's Ferrari and Mercedes are the ones who've hit the ground running. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is down to, the, down to the wheelbase for Ferrari. They added an extra 10 centimeters and as Mercedes discovered last year, that is going to make things a bit unpredictable. Gene Z, there was a third DRS zone. Did you think that that was going to make a difference this year? Well, we hoped it would because um, turn going into um, what's that corner turn thirteen? Um, it's um, it, it's a really decent corner to get a good lunge at, but unfortunately, it didn't seem to happen. Unfortunately, but it's good for qualifying there. Tell you what wasn't good for qualifying, though, Chris. Uh, the Mercedes number two ends up dinging it in Q3. All that build-up 
getting towards this kind of killer moment. And on the very first corner of his first Q3 run, Valtteri Bottas kind of cements his position as number two driver. I think he's almost done it with the very first competitive corner of 2018. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, just yet. Obviously, we never got to see his potential, but I mean, he was certainly uh, struggling up until that point compared to to Lewis. Uh, it, it was a very, very, hu- a hugely costly error. Uh, and not just because, you know, that, that drops you into the pack, but then you also have to uh, change your gearbox. That's another five places. And he was also uh, forced to take his second control electronics and energy store Ouch. after after yeah. one qualifying um session they might be able to get those first ones you know back in working order again but it's certainly not the way you want to start the season yeah no it was really bad because when he came into that first corner he just clipped the curb on the inside and it was just really messy not something you should be doing in q3 maybe it's a practice incident that you should have but that was just him showing how much pressure he was under from from the pace that lewis had because he was behind him all weekend um and then yeah he's got up on that curb touched the wet grass and that's thrown him into the wall well we heard lewis talking after qualifying about how that that second lap where he found eight like eight tenths of a second was all about getting the tires in the working um window i wonder if bottas was maybe slightly caught out by the extra grip he uh was getting on that second lap and turned in a little bit too early well, I, I mean, he went he went wide out of turn one. So if anything, it would it would be the opposite. He hit the curb too hard. So maybe maybe he did get a little more grip than he anticipated and, and bounced off the curb. But but the the real thing was the um, was the wet grass on the tires and the loss of traction when he came back on under throttle, just spun him right around into it. But you say he's under pressure from Lewis. I don't think he's under pressure from Lewis. He's under pressure from Sebastian Vettel. Mercedes do not need Botas to beat Lewis Hamilton. They do absolutely need him to be doing than Sebastian Vettel. And that is his main concern. Nick. So it's not only Sebastian Vettel, but um, in the first run in Q3, I guess that would be after Botas pinned it and they cleaned up the track. I believe Hamilton, uh, Sebastian and Kimmy were all within a tenth of each other. Is that right? With Max not that far behind. So Incredible close first run there. Uh, very promising. Jeansy. Or is he really under pressure from his one-year contract and all the talks of Daniel Ricciardo taking that seat? Yeah. Um, but also, the thing that annoyed me about that incident was he got it wrong from the first turn into turn one, and he tried to keep it pinned on wet grass. He should have just straightened up, gone across the grass, and lived the fight another day and stuck another set of tyres on. Um, it's a bit of a rookie mistake from someone who's driving for the best team. And uh, speaking of mistakes, Nick, what happened to Daniel Ricciardo? What happened to the homeboy in the first race of the new season? Oh, I think I'm going to get a little bit worked up about this subject a little bit. Um, Not a Danny Rick fan particularly. I like him. But if you were watching FP2, you would have noticed that there was a red flag called because of a loose timing strip on the start-finish line. Danny slowed dramatically 175 kilometers an hour you it was clear to see with the naked eye watching that he had slowed but i guess he didn't slow down within the delta that was allowed and he was hit with a penalty uh it could have been five grid places they went lenient so they say and it ended up being three grid places yeah it was i mean i'm a i'm a big danny rick fan so it did hurt to have him get it but 
rules are rules, especially red flag stuff. They're really <laughs> the halos, one thing to go on. They're really pent up on safety at the moment. And if you don't slow down, you get it. And I was, I was looking through some stuff that Ken, um, that Vortex sent me, um, with regards to the regulations. And what it actually states is, is there was no other, um, penalty they could have given him. It's that penalty, that, that, restriction is a grid place penalty and they were lenient they couldn't go any more lenient because then it sets a precedent for the rest of the season sure and i've come to terms with the penalty so to speak but i've been thinking about it some more and i still have a bone to pick with the way that it was covered on television so if you're watching fb2 you would have had no idea that he was speeding you didn't even know that he was under investigation fp2 was at 1 a.m eastern time i think and so you go to sleep thinking that nothing's happened and you wake up and you find out that you find out that there's a grid penalty and it kind of feels like you don't really know what's going on and they're not doing a very good job of communicating it to the viewers. But at the, the end at the end of the day he's going too fast. A red flag is like the ultimate in be prepared to stop and make sure that you don't crash into anything dangerous. The fact is why is he leaving it that close? in the first place why is he even 0.0001 seconds above like are they really cutting it that fine if they're cutting it that fine they're thinking about their speed and they're not thinking about safety apparently he read his dash wrong good all right then trumpets yeah well in in as much fun as it is to talk about this i know everyone is desperate to get the race but what's interesting to me is that mclaren Actually, and I feel like I should own this because I have not been the biggest believer in the McLaren hype train. And they absolutely positively in qualifying, qualifying owned the title of best of the rest outside of Q3. I, I thought they had the best chassis, so they should have just been the best of the best, surely. Yeah, they've gone from we are going to fight with Red Bull to we are going to be at the top of the midfield to, well, we got 10th and 11th. So that makes us best of the rest, technically, as long as we just look at the people who don't make Q3. I tell you or what, 11th, 12th. I, know, I know people don't get that excited about qualifying generally. However, there was a lot to be interested in. And you could see in the press conference afterwards exactly how much it meant to people. I mean, Sebastian Vettel was utterly convinced that for the second run of Q3, Lewis Hamilton had engaged some sort of extra boost mode, this so-called party mode lewis hamilton was like no i just hadn't put my good lap time together and i was pleased to take that smile off of your face yeah it wasn't just a good lap time i think it was the optimum lap time i don't think you could have gone fast i have never seen i only once have i seen him put in a performance like that and it was in the wet at spa when his dash was reading the wrong um reading the wrong times to him so he kept on going faster and faster because he thought he was so far behind uh, he got the tires perfect. And, you know, as someone who performs for a living, at least occasionally, every now and then you just have one of those days that are like an out of body experience where everything goes perfectly and you can literally do anything you want to. And that was the kind of performance that you saw on his last qualifying lap. So as we mentioned already, of course, Bottas crashed in Q3. And I think what's unfortunate a little bit is that we didn't get to see him put in a final Q3 run. So it would have been interesting to see where he would have shaken out in yeah. the order and how much of that six, seven, tenth gap between Lewis and the Ferraris and Red Bull was Lewis and how much of it was the Mercedes. There was also Vettel and Verstappen made boo-boos on their final attempt. So really, you know, both of them feel like they could have occupied 
the front row uh, had they not made those errors. So I don't feel like that that big six tenth of a second gap is entirely representative just yet. Okay, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But for a first qualifying session, entertaining, interesting, fascinating, and I can't wait to see what we come up with in Bahrain and China. But of course, we now have a race to talk about. It's here, it's here. F1 racing is finally here. Matt, we were just like excited school children. I don't think we were any less excited than my seven-year-old and six-year-old before Christmas. Uh, And we get like it every single year. And overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the race. I always enjoy getting up early in the morning to sit and watch these races. It had enough interest for me. It had enough intrigue. It had a little bit of drama. It wasn't like a barnstormer. It wasn't a classic F1 race that people will be talking about for years and years to come. But people don't complain that seven out of eight Game of Thrones episodes are build up or setting the scene or plot. As a plot setting episode of the Formula One drama, I mean, this was, it was just grand. Yeah, we had some cliffhangers, we had some dramatic reversals, we had some heroes, we had some goats. It it is really, it had a little bit of everything, Mm -hmm. and it had the result, again, Formula One needed, which was Mercedes did not win the race. Now, I know Mercedes had the fastest car and driver at Hamilton. I, I think it would be hard to argue otherwise, but it is going to help tremendously for Ferrari to have taken this first victory in terms of the health of the overall sport. I mean, do you remember, it was only a couple of weeks ago that I was predicting a good start for Mercedes. We were talking about the Gremlins, the strategic problems they had last year in Australia. And I was like, no, no, I think, you know, that kind of thing's been ironed out. That's well behind the Mercedes outfit. Uh, I think that they have made a key strategic error in this race. But why don't you summarize how the race was won and lost? All right. So obviously... And in my view, the most critical thing that happened was the thing that we've already talked about, and that's Botas destroying his car, started P15, which meant that his Hamilton was essentially alone at the front of the field. And Ferrari could and did, in fact, double team him strategically when the uh, pit stops first started. Beyond that, really outside of the start, and the start was important because one of his competitors, Verstappen, lost out to Kevin Magnuson, and his race was done by about lap two. Um, And good driving by Magnuson, by the way. I don't care what anybody says. That that was a brilliant bit of driving. But that took one of the contenders out and left Ferrari alone. That left Raikkonen and Vettel with no one pushing them and really gave Ferrari their, their, their best bite at the apple of strategy. And then, of course, the number three thing that happened, and equally important, would have been the virtual safety car and how that was handled, uh, as well as the the pit stops prior to it. And, of course, that was all kicked off because the uh, Haas, one after another, managed to come in and go out without their wheels properly attached. Now, I will just put it out there that I've seen the wheel nut cross-threading has been blamed for both. The pit crew was the same as the ones they had last year, and this didn't happen last year. So perhaps it's a wheel nut design. Perhaps there was a problem with the uh, wheel gun. It's not been resolved to my satisfaction, but I said at the outset and I maintain that Haas's biggest problem here is going to be their operational issues, not the car itself. The car itself 
is looking very, very good indeed. Don Byrne agrees with you. K-Mag was very impressive today. Controlled Viking Rampage mode was engaged. Uh, oh, I'm not reading that comment out from Henry Fawn, but uh, nice to see you. I uh, hope you're enjoying yourself in the chat room. If you want to come and join the live chat, go to YouTube, find Mr. Apex Podcast, click subscribe, and there's a little bell icon. You can get a notification to your device every time you go live. I think one of the key things you covered there, um, Matt, was that they were able to split the strategy. In Mercedes versus Ferrari today, Ferrari had a rear gunner. Now, Kimi might not have known he was the rear gunner, Chris, but I think he might have been deployed as such. The thing is, Hamilton did not have a number two. He didn't have a rear gunner. And the better team today, with two cars up there right at the front, was Ferrari. Chris, my straight takeaway from this now is that the title is between Vettel, perhaps one of the Red Bull boys, and Lewis Hamilton. It's not between Kimi. They're not going to let that happen at Ferrari. It's not between Bottas. He's not got it. Mercedes have to come out now, absolutely drop all pretense. Lewis Hamilton is the Mercedes number one driver. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I agree with that to an extent. Um, I'd definitely throw the the two uh, Red Bulls in there. It was weird uh, seeing Kimi ahead of Sebastian because it was all weekend long and Sebastian was really trying to chase um, the balance of the car all throughout practice. Um, but it even seems like, you know, maybe if he hadn't made that mistake on his qualifying lap, he, he, he would have been ahead. And we all know that because it's so hard to overtake, you know, the track position is everything. Right. So I'm so happy you finally said something, Spanners, that I can disagree with. Raikkonen was absolutely not the rear gunner for Ferrari. He got the preferred strategy. In fact, the thing that drove him most mental was not being made aware of um, Vettel's gap to him and times to him. Um, And he was given essentially the undercut strategy on Hamilton. And that was what, in fact, Mercedes had to respond to. So he was he he and Hamilton were racing. Vettel was left out to cover off the possibility of a safety car and hope that maybe he could pull enough of a gap to be able to chase back on uh, ultra soft tires or much fresher tires and get by. But the reality of the racing in Melbourne, and especially even with the three or ten or however many DR zones you want, reality is you needed a, a proper two second gap to achieve an overtake and Ferrari did not have that on the Mercedes. He was never going to get back by Hamilton if he emerged from the pits behind him sparkles. or right for that matter. See sparkles. I think you're with me. I'm not quite seeing it that way. See, you can't blame Mercedes for trying to cover off Raikkonen. They came in a little bit earlier than we were anticipating, um, but you can't blame them for trying to cover it off because track position is, is so king. And they, they just needed to, to kind of maintain that. So I almost wonder if uh, they they just kind of left Vettel out there and see if an overcut might might work. Or if not, maybe he can catch them on fresher tyres towards the end. But like kind of what they did in, in Russia last year. See, no, I'm not feeling that at all, Matt. To my mind, uh, Kimi Raikkonen was used to get Lewis Hamilton out of the way. It was used to make sure that Sebastian Vettel, your man, Nick, wasn't going to be held up by Kimi whatsoever. And it meant that if anything happened in the race, Sebastian Vettel was going to be the one who could benefit from any strategy. Surely, as a Ferrari fan, as a Sebastian Vettel fan, you don't genuinely believe they gave Kimi Raikkonen the most preferential strategy today. I don't know. I've just been thinking this whole time that it feels an awfully 
feels an awful lot like Monaco last year. Um, then Vettel just seemed to have the pace to make the overcut work. And even if it was the preferred strategy for Kimi, there was nothing that could be done. And here it just seems like he had a big heap of luck with the timing of the virtual safety car. I don't know that he necessarily got number one preferential treatment here today. I mean, he was behind Kimi in qualifying and wasn't really showing the pace to pass him. So the first thing that I noticed from it all is if Bottas hadn't binned it in qualifying, then he could have helped put the pressure on and it might have made a difference when it came to the strategy call because if he was in fourth place behind Seb, he'd have pitted early and would have forced Seb to pit. So that's one thing. Um, the other one was, I agree, I think um, Kimi was kind of pushed along because in the second stint, um, look at the pace that Lewis and Seb both had and Kimi just couldn't live with it. There was no way Kimi had the pace to actually win that race. Um, but Seb did, unfortunately. See, Matt, Let's just get this out in the open. Lewis Hamilton had pace in hand on that first stint. He he was managing that gap. He he pulled straight out to three seconds and stayed there. Yeah, and, and this is very typical of a Mercedes, is they're going to go just fast enough to keep you out of the undercut, and they will respond to whatever they deem the most immediate threat. The fact that they covered off Kimi meant that they felt like Kimi had the best chance of beating them. Plain and simple. And I believe Ferrari was was like it or not on that same page if, if they i mean maybe you're going to say it's unfortunate that Raikkonen was ahead of Vettel but if they really wanted Vettel to have the best strategy they would have changed them around because the fact of the matter is Vettel's strategy on paper was slower than what they did for Raikkonen and the goal was to make Mercedes go long on its tires which is where they're most vulnerable hey chat room is anybody here going to buy into Nutsgate all right, look at that Haas. Does it remind you of anything? Does it look like a Haas from 2018 to you? Or does it look like a 2017 Ferrari? Let's get those tin foil hats on, boys. Because the only way that Sebastian Vettel had the fastest strategy today, Matt, because you're right, on paper it was the slowest, was if there was a virtual safety car. Now, not only did Haas get gifted basically last year's car with this year's engine, but then they had a, one attempt to bring out a virtual safety car by cross-threading a nut and getting Magnussen to go out. And when that didn't bring out the VSC, they got Grosjean out there and they said, this time, make sure you park half the car on the track. So they definitely have to pull out a virtual safety car. Nick, I'm getting hot in this tinfoil hat, but I'm le- at least I'm safe from satellites. So um, Haas were on pace to finish P4 and P5, which would be 22 points by my calculation. That's the difference between two spots and the constructors at the end of the year from where they finished last year. I mean, two spots in either direction. I just, as much as I love a good conspiracy theory, I think it costs too much money for Haas to lose that many points for it to have any semblance of truth. And I would like to say one, just one more bit about that. I don't think Haas have ever run in P4 and P5. And I think there's a mental aspect, maybe a little bit of pressure uh, to the guys operating the wheel guns, especially the second time after they just blew it two laps ago. Yeah, I think their best result to date has been a, a P- P6. Um, but um, it's it's a massive shame for them because they've really got to capitalize on these first few races while the likes of Force India, McLaren and Renault on having a, a very good start to the season. You know, they're looking at uh, season-long uh, development and improving that car significantly throughout the year, whereas 
Haas don't seem to be taking that approach. And they had a fantastic opportunity today to have their best result after their best qualifying. You know, we were saying after testing, uh, you know, keep an eye on Haas. They're the dark horses of the midfield. And that was absolutely right. All right, then, Matt. Can I just make clear, because the chat room's having to go at me, I, I don't really think that Haas deliberately messed the wheels up and made the guys pull over. All right, you know, no one has ever forced a safety car before just to help somebody win a race. Uh, no, honestly, I, I really genuinely don't believe that. Um, however, let's, let's give Ferrari some credit. Given that a virtual safety car is a thing that happens, and it did happen, Ferrari were good enough today to put themselves in the position to take advantage of it. Matt Vettel was good enough today to put himself in a position to take advantage of it. And then when he got that advantage, he did not give it up. Not just Vettel. Ferrari was good enough to put themselves in that position. The optimal strategy for them was tire base. They know Mercedes' weakness is is long runs at the end of the race. They can eat their tires if you put them under pressure. That was really their best chance. So they did the thing. They pitted early. Lewis had to put on the tires to cover it off. And then you just leave Vettel out there to see what happens because he's, he's, you know, not quite a pit stop ahead, give or take. So he's got plenty of time to give up. And it, and at a certain point, if enough laps have gone by, well, then you can strap on some fresh tires and, and let him have a, uh, let him have a go. Riken will probably get out of the way because now they're on opposite strategies and he can put the most pressure possible on Lewis. And that would have been a brilliant and exciting thing. But that's not what actually happened. Instead, it was like that thing where you're picking up your winnings and you accidentally drop a chip on number 34 on the roulette wheel and don't pick it up in time. And surprise, there's your 34. You've just won a small fortune. No, Chris, I'm giving them a bit more credit than that. I mean, I don't think they even have the second quickest car. So I think this was a very, very fortunate result i mean if we'd have been able to see red bull's full potential if ricardo hadn't got the grid penalty if Verstappen hadn't gotten stuck behind uh, we'll, cover, we'll cover that we'll cover that yeah well i mean yeah. yeah uh it's you know i think they would have won that race um but yeah no ferrari most definitely uh you know uh, lucked into this and because you can't uh, really overtake albert park i think lewis said it was like the second worst track for overtaking uh then yeah like like I say track position is key so Matt, then the things that cost Lewis Hamilton, I think there was two and it's two distinct separate issues. One was this alleged software glitch that made them miscalculate their virtual safety car window. Uh, but the other thing really is the way that Mercedes manage a lead. It's very different to say how Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel used to manage a lead. Vettel used to go absolutely all out at the beginning of a race, build up a pit stops worth of a uh, gap and then sit on that. Now, I think Mercedes had time in hand, maybe not 20 seconds worth of time, but they seem to go out of their way to manage just a three or four second gap and then sit on that with the competitors very close. It's like they've really calculated it down to the last, you know, yard to see how much they can get away with. It's a very conservative tactic. It is. And this ties into a point that you're making that you're absolutely correct about is that all of the manufacturers and teams are looking at this three power unit for the whole season and and asking themselves, how little can I win with? How little can I achieve my goal with? Because every second 
I turn that power unit up and run it above the minimum level, I'm costing myself life and I'm taking a bigger and bigger chance on a, on a, on having to start from the back of the grid. And I'd really rather not do that. And we know even last season with the four, with the four power unit rule, Hamilton would often turn his engine down more than the engineers requested and scare the bejesus out of them. But he felt he could manage whatever was coming his way. And I think you're looking at exactly that. They were doing the minimum nest. They were driving as slow as they could to still win the race. The Alain Prost school of Formula One. Yeah, so you want to you want to win with the smallest possible margin and take the very, very least out of the car, don't you? And, um, you know, it, what you alluded to with Vettel in, in the Red Bull, you know, it's a very, very different formula then. Reliability was nowhere near as much of a, a scare. Yeah as it is now uh and you know this this sort of timing glitch or or whatever it was you know that's a it seems like a a, a key mistake to to kind of get wrong i'm i'm pretty confused why why they would have that sort of information go on gene do you tell us how they got this wrong Toto keeps saying a glitch in the system they keep blaming the software someone just got their maths yeah. wrong no i i had that same thought uh, Alex, that somebody has just either used the tool incorrectly. Um, it does just seem like a straight error. But the reason that they have made that error in the first place and the reason they have to keep turning their engines down is, as Steve Blackout in the chat room says, and let me read out his full his full message there, it's because of the stupid, 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 stupid three engine rule. I'm so mad about this three engine rule uh, now that we've actually seen it affect racing. Of all the things people have got angry about, grid girls, yeah, fine, but they're gone. But the amount of energy that went into that, what was the other thing recently? Uh, Halo, the amount of energy that's gone to people complaining about the Halo. This this is the biggest upsetting technical regulation that we've had. And I think essentially it comes down to the fact that we've got three different kinds of Formula One fan. We've got people who are just petrol heads, people who like uh, the cars, people who are there just to watch cars performing well. You've got people who are there for the Hollywood aspect of it, the people who liked watching James Hunt the people who like the glamour, the people who like the grid girls. And then you've got the people like me that just like the sporting element of it. Now, this three-engine rule has affected a race straight away. It's meant that somebody has completely given up with five laps to go in a much faster car. A four-time world champion was chasing down another four-time world champion. And five laps before the end, he just completely gave up and turned the dials down, Jeansy. That should be a classic F1 moment. Yeah, it it com it completely and utterly ruined the race. Um, I mean, I I like these engines. I don't like the rules that are put with these engines. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a shame because I think you'd have had that from uh, Daniel Ricciardo as well chasing um chasing Kimi. Daniel Ricciardo was well on it. He was he wanted to get him, and they gave him two laps of extra power. That's that's not that's not what Formula One's supposed to be. It concerned me how many drivers were trying to stay out of a slipstream um, because they didn't want to overheat their engines. And what we've basically gone back to is a scenario we were in two years ago where nobody wanted to get close to another car because it was going to burn up the, their bubblegum tires. We're back into that sort of scenario. 
I'm just going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. I'm with Spanners in that I watched Formula One for the sporting aspect. And I think saving your legs for another day is just part of every sport. So the sport I watch most after Formula One is hockey. And if you're fighting for the Stanley Cup, you're going to play four best of seven series. You're going to play 25 games. You could put your star defenseman out 35 minutes a night because you want to win every game. But at a certain point, you have to know that you have to live to fight another day. I just think... This is unfortunate, but it is also just a part of sport. Ah, that's actually a really good point, Trumpets. Done. I I appreciate that. I don't quite think it fits into motorsport, but it is a good logical point. Yeah. uh, All of this, if you're looking at the whole season, is part of it. But I am delighted because Sparkles has yet again said something I can disagree with. Yes. Uh, The reason that people were pulling out of the slipstream was not to preserve their tires. It was because they miscalculated the cooling requirements based on the fact that everybody thought it was going to rain. And this is why they did that. It didn't have anything to do with extending the life of the tires. The tires did a wonderfully fine job, more or less exactly what was asked of them. I wasn't alluding to the tires. You literally said bubble gum. That was what we had a couple of years ago. My point now is that Uh that, that's what it's like. That oh, it's like, like when we had those t- like the tire issues. And it's like that because the teams miscalculated their cooling requirements. This is also a thing that happens in motorsport from time to time. But um, did I miss the part where you asked me to explain how this algorithm went so very, very wrong there, Spanners? Or are we going to do that later? No, I'll go on then. I think this is the time. Is this the time? Now yeah. is the time. That's a great tune, by the way, if you want to go listen to it. I don't. I figured not because you have no taste. But... The way it works is very simple. There's literally an algorithm, and they just put the it they feed GPS information into it, and it essentially creates a window for them. It creates a pit window, lets you know who's in your pit window, and it creates a safety car window, lets you know who's in your safety car window. So should a safety car, a virtual safety car appear, then you would get that. But I would guess, based on Total Wolf's comments, that the algorithm did not take into account the fact that Unlike the entire rest of the track, the pit lane itself is not under anything other than its normal speed limits. And we have seen it happen before, both on the entry to the pit lane and the exit of the pit lane. Both of those stretches, the car can drive as fast as it wants to, as long as it slows to, I believe, is it 60 or 80 kilometers an hour? Once they hit the start of the pit lane and they have to maintain that speed until they hit the line going out. And again, they can drive as fast as they want to until they exit the pit lane. And at that point, they have to once again comply with the many sector times set uh, that you have to set under the virtual safety car. Firstly, Chris, that can't be right. It can't be as simple as that. And if it is as simple as that, yeah. how come Mercedes didn't figure that out? No, it is as simple as that. And the thing, there seems to be some confusion about, you know, uh, if it's quicker to go through the pit lane, why don't you do it all the time <laughs> under a VSC? It's not quicker okay. to go through the pit lane you just lose less time yes compared to pitting under green flag conditions because your rivals are are, are going slower and and that's what's made the the key difference here so let me see if i've got this matt just because i know you're smart you understand stuff like this let's see if i understand it all right so you couldn't just drive through the pit lane every time there's a virtual safety car because it would still be slower overall the point is if the one pit stop you're going to make in that phase happens to be under the virtual safety car, then the rest of the cars are going slower. So they have less opportunity to catch up with you as you're going through the pits. The other thing, Matt, I think the, the crucial thing then 
is that the the car leaves the virtual safety car conditions as it starts to pit, smashes it, hits the pit limiter, does his pit stop, gets off the pit limiter at the exit, smashes it until he's back under virtual safety car conditions. Have I, have I got it? You have absolutely wow. positively got it. And I will give you a concrete example because we, we know that that's always best. The software was telling Mercedes that they needed to have about a 13-second gap to Vettel for him to not be able There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market to get out in front of them in the event of a virtual safety car. They had about an 11-second gap, and he still got out ahead of him. So it's very clearly um, whoever programmed the algorithm didn't take into account the differing length of entry and exit to the pit lane and how fast the cars might be able to go. They just used probably an average, and it gave them an incorrect number. If I had to guess, that's what happened. And as far as me being smart, well, yes, but to tell you the truth, Mostly, I just go ask Summers what happened. Oh no! And, and and people are saying that because Ferrari have you know won in this way, that it's something you shouldn't be able to do pinning under a virtual safety car or a safety car. But I'm 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 sorry, this has been a part of motorsport ever since the safety car was introduced to Formula One. It's nothing new. It's nothing yep. different. It's just how racing goes sometimes. Put it, put it this way: Sebastian Vettel was third behind his own teammate behind his. Formula One era championship rival Lewis Hamilton, he rolled the dice by staying out longer and there's inherent risks into doing that. Now you were describing this tactic of basically, you know, going long and then going onto the softer tyres for a faster uh, second stint. You said it nearly worked. It always nearly works. We nearly never see that tactic paying off. So he had to roll the dice and this time he got the bit of luck that he needed. Uh, but Nick, I'm not taking that away from him. That is something that they went for. They went for the off-game scenario and they got it. Oh, exactly. And I was just going to say, going long and hoping that something happens is nothing new. And they were not even the only team doing it. If you recall, Red Bull put both drivers out on the Super Soft in Q2. So they would start the race on that compound and hopefully go out longer. Unfortunately, Danny was all the way back in P8 and Max did a 360. And I'll just argue with the chat room for a little bit who were responding to my power units rant. It just, I can't, I want to see the numbers. I want to see that it is actually cheaper to have less, more reliable en- engines. I'm imagining they smash 
tens and tens of hybrid engines up against the wall on the dyno trying to make it reliable and guess where that cost gets passed on to it gets put into the unit price for the customer teams it doesn't it's the same price for the customers as it was before so for the customers it's that's, cheap, that's it, impossible to believe that's if it costs more money to develop it how could you possibly say, sell it for the same price it does not I think make they're sense. obliged to Okay, well, then they're making less profit. There's still a cost. That's not magic. You don't magic money out of somewhere. Yeah, there's just a cost, but it's less supposed to be cheaper for the customers. That's the point. They just write it off, Jerry. <laughs> it's marketing. It's marketing budget. It's advertising budget at a certain point. It's play money. Okay, let's roll on. Let's look at these top three guys because we've had a good look now at the cars. Yes. We don't always get representative results in Australia, but I think we've definitely seen enough. I want to know how the panel see the top three. Where should we go? Jeansy, look, he's bobbing up and down. He looks like he's set to say something. The top three, and I think it is the top three, of Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Where do you see those guys ranked? And then the rest of you uh, tell us why you think Jeansy's wrong. <laughs> um, I do currently think it is still Merck, Ferrari, Red Bull just um i think max proved today he's not ready to win a world championship he got far too aggressive behind k mag he didn't need to be throwing the car around like he did and then he binned it and you wouldn't see seb do that you wouldn't see lewis do that um i don't think you even see kimmy do that not that he's going fast enough but um i do think ferrari have the edge at the moment over red bull but i think red bull could potentially outdevelop ferrari well, I don't quite agree with that, but did you see it when Verstappen also later in the race took a big chunk of grass uh, in sector one as well, later on, chasing down cars? He went off a couple of times, didn't yeah. he? I mean, I, I generally, you're a Max Verstappen fan, as in you think he's a great driver. What do you think it's going to take for him to go to the next level then? Just a bit of age and a bit of experience. He's got the pace. The pace has never been in doubt. It's the head and his shoulders. If it came down to the last three or four races and he was in with the fight, would he be able to keep his head against Lewis and Seb? I don't think he can at the moment. The pace is there. Give him the fast enough car and he'll be fine. But put him in a fight and I don't think he's got the head for it yet. Wow. And I am a, I am a Max fan. Um, I want Max to do well. He's the future of the sport. Um, but he's got a really long way to go. He's only 19, which pains me to say it. Matt, I think what we just need is just to have rain every weekend for Verstappen to take the championship. Yeah, and I take Gingy's point, and I, and I see a certain amount of truth to it. Um, he was not patient. His tires were overheating. The car was not handling well. And what made me curious, um, the, the, uh, one of the questions that I came to the show with was, I had the sense from watching that car that Red Bull might have trimmed more downforce off of his car than they did off of Ricciardo's. And I suspect that's because he wanted to do better in qualifying. And I suspect Ricciardo, they probably added it on once he got the penalty regardless because they knew he would have to be passing people on track. But if you left them to that open question, I think Ricciardo would always choose the more downforce because the car will handle better, especially under high fuel. And that's where we saw him have the most trouble. Agree with Jeansy on Max. Disagree with him on uh, Red Bull being the third. Me too. Team. Good, Chris. It's going to be Team See, Sparkle Spanners today. Woohoo! Oh my gosh! Never, never, ever <laughs> say that again. Um, but the thing, the only thing holding Red Bull back at the moment is is the engine, and we're going to a couple of power dependent circuits um, next, so that might hold them them back. 
But um, I, I think, no, Ferrari have definitely got the biggest scope to develop and overtake uh, uh, Red Bull and, and potentially Mercedes towards um, the end of the season. Um, the only worrying thing for, for Red Bull is the fact that an engine update is coming in, in Barcelona. Now, that not only means you have to do the first four races with an inferior engine, but it also means you're changing your engine earlier than you want to. It's- have, they, have they made it to their 2017 ERS yet in their 2018 power unit there? Do you know, I th- uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were supposed to be, yes, because they were, they brought in the update that was supposed to be coming at this race last year. That's where they got up to. All right, let's talk to Nick, because you're our resident Ferrari fan, I think, at the moment. Uh, obviously, you're a fan of Vettel, the German number five. Now, the accusation that me and Chris would level at you is that your team did fantastically today, not taking that away at all. But looking at their car, I think that you would want to be in a Red Bull or a Mercedes and not a Ferrari. I don't know that I agree with that. So I would like to say that I try so hard not to be a fanboy. I do think it is more interesting to watch <laughs> the sport. Fanboy, pulling. Okay. <laughs> I, no, I think you should pull for somebody and watch the sport from that angle. I think it just makes it a little bit more enjoyable. I don't know that I would want to be in a Red Bull instead of a Ferrari right now. I mean, if they were talking to Horner during practice and qualifying and they were saying that they were losing seven kilometers an hour on the straight. They were trimming off as much rear wing as possible, which probably led to Max's problems. I, I, you don't hear that kind of thing from Ferrari. I think they're doing a little bit better right now. Um, I, I think it's still Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. And I'd like to point out um, Bradley Philpott is in the chat room, of course, uh, being the biggest cheerleader in the world for McLaren. And he puts them at first. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> sorry, I don't, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't that know. Was bad. I, thought I don't it was on know mute. that you can say definitively yet that Red Bull is ahead of McLaren because they did not put both drivers in front of Alonso and they're running the same power unit. Trumpets has got animated. What's up, Trumpets? Uh, Red Bull are so far ahead of McLaren. It's like a sad thing. Alonso came out ahead of Verstappen by a tenth of a second. Was it from his pit stop or under yellow flags? And Verstappen had to give the spot back. And uh, Red Bull is apparently not quite in Verstappen's hands, two seconds better than a McLaren, because that's what it took to get round somebody at Albert Park. If, Just, if, if, if Alonso is P5 and you've got the Red Bull ahead of him of uh, Ricardo, like 15 seconds down the road, after a safety car period as well, you know, that is clear evidence that the Red Bull is you know, superior to McLaren. Like McLaren, they're not even quicker than Renault at the moment. Yes, they uh, I, would definitely, I would say that they are the third Renault I, team. I did but know they, they are faster than Renault. Both are, their drivers. I'm but they, they, he lucked into that. No, come he on, lucked me. into that position as much as Vettel did into the lead because of the virtual safety car. And you just can't pass around there. I, I want to hear Nick's point followed by some background noise and then Jeansy. I was just going to say that Alonso beat Hulkenberg and Van Dorn beat Science, but Renault is definitely faster because you score points on different days of the week than Sunday. If Max hadn't have ballsed up his start and ended up behind a band up behind Magnussen and then binned it, he'd have come out miles and miles and miles ahead of um, Fernando. So I'm sorry, the, the the McLaren, however much it pains me, is nowhere near the Red Bull. Not a chance. Right. And I, I'm just going to have to disagree with Stevens. Alonso absolutely positively did not luck into his P5 in the same way that Vettel lucked into his P1. Vettel skipped one position 
two positions. Alonzo was in P9. Signs went off, and then everyone in front of him pitted, and then the virtual safety car happened. He gained like five places through uh, one person going off and four people ahead of him pitting. So, yeah, no, no. Alonzo, I mean, if you, <laughs> Alonzo just won like what? I don't know, the lotto. He bought the winning lottery ticket with that particular strategy. And that's all there was to it. Otherwise, they were looking at maybe P10 at best. I thought you were about to disagree with me on like that the fact that he didn't luck into it like at all, but you're actually a, accentuating my point. I love it. Yes. Well, you see how clever I am. Is if I was telling banners how good I was in front of the audience last night with my patter and my jibes, and <laughs> here I am just being brilliant. If you can be funny and entertaining in your day job, why can't you do it on the podcast? This is terrible. I tell you who has got a good day job though that's chris stevens chris um before we move on tell people where to find you and and what you're up to you probably potentially have the most exciting future of us old sweats on the panel uh, covering with autosport the 750 motor club yeah yeah it's not uh it's, it's not a bad way to spend some weekends 750 motor club uh in uh autosport magazine uh occasionally some uh, bike stuff on autosport and motorsport.com uh, as well which is quite cool most of my written work at formula spy for f1 and fe news and race reports and uh, catch me on twitter at c stevens underscore journal now let's talk to mediocre carter alex van jean now you're kind of the me of badminton in that i will generally bully and beat anyone who doesn't play but if i come up against anyone who can actually race you know i'm nowhere Thanks for that. I'm not quite sure what to say to that. Just but deny I can it. Say you're brilliant. Say, I can actually say on a live podcast that's <laughs> safe for work, at least, anyway. Uh, what are you up to, uh, race-wise? Um, nothing at the moment. Dude. I've got I've got baby number two on the way. Oh, so that's yeah. sucking that's sucking yeah, yeah, all my yeah. money out of my life. So um, uh, at the moment, no racing going on. Lots of sim stuff. Got some F1 tomorrow and starting a GT3 championship soon. Um, but other than that, it's if you want to see me, you can see me on Facebook, Alex Van Jean, or at Alex Van Jean on the Twitter field. Now I, I hear also that he's not doing particularly well in the Mist Apex Patron Hot Lap Challenge, Nick. I, I believe he's done mediocre in that as well. He has half a tenth on me, which, as he knows, is a little bit infuriating to me at the moment. <laughs> I did two hours. You'd spend 19 hours. In total on the game ever. But okay. Nick, Nick's maybe pedals I... aren't set up properly either. Yeah, you told me my pedals weren't set up properly, and I don't own my own overalls. <laughs> Nick Alexander, how are you enjoying your first podcast appearance with Mist Apex? So far going well? Well, I guess the last ones weren't memorable, but this one is going very well, I think. Hey, you're doing well. I think uh, that double vodka you had before you came on is doing you just fine. Oh, it's a whiskey, isn't it? It's a 12-year single malt, I remember now. Where can people find you online? Should they want to follow you? And by the way, thank you for your work on the Missed Apex Twitter account. Yes, uh, so you can follow me a little bit on at Missed Apex F1, but of course I have my own Twitter, at Nick Alexander F1. Please follow me, tweet at me, try to respond. And also I've set up nickalexanderf1 at gmail.com if you want to send more lengthy hate mail. <laughs> That's fair enough. Hey, Matt, you're a mug. We've got mugs to sell. Have you seen them? I have, and they are disturbingly good looking. I mean, they're the kind of mugs that I would actually like to own myself if I drank anything that came in a mug. 
Well, you are lucky because you can put whiskey in these mugs as well as caffeine and tea. And they are available at mistapexpodcast.com forward slash buy stuff. Now, we are not doing this to become millionaires. Believe it or not, you cannot become a millionaire by selling branded mugs from your podcast. So we've kept the UPC down as uh, little as we can. And for 12 quid or equivalent in the EU or in the US, you should be able to get a Mist Apex mug delivered to you in black or white. I've used Teespring mugs before. The quality of the mug is good. The prints are usually good. It's been designed professionally by graphics type people. It's got a beautiful Mist Apex race car on there. Check it out. MistApexPodcast.com forward slash buy stuff. And that would be my soundboard not working. This doesn't happen on Sky, does it? But I tell you what is slick is the FIA's media coverage. Now, Liberty looked to be the firm to come in and make F1 coverage sing, Matt. And so far, it's been actually really good. People were on about the F1 logo. People have been criticizing the music, been criticizing uh, their approach to the media platform and the social media. But everything went pretty slick, including the pit lane type reporting from Will Buxton. Yeah, well, I think uh, Will Buxton is the single biggest value added that, that that they have employed. But even people who are complaining about the theme music, the use of it in the show was, I thought, perfectly fine. I didn't find it distracting. There was no three minutes of silence while we play our theme song to whatever's going on on track. All of these things people were really worried about. I just basically didn't happen. And I think if we are going to complain about anything and let's face it that's mostly what we're here to do yeah complain and wildly speculate the issue with the halo and the onboard camera placement was probably the best place to go because that does seem to be yeah i'd like to know how that wound i mean in my mind this is what happened fia we need a halo um, and then they don't care where the cameras go exactly, except for it's mandated in the technical regulations. But whoever mandated it wasn't somebody who understood how cameras worked. So what I understand is the cameras were basically mandated before the halo was included. The position was um, set in stone. So they had the over the shoulder one, which was just terrible. But then the one on the TV pod, which is my favorite anyway, that that one isn't bad at all because you can see the wheel work. You can see the track ahead. You lose a bit of the suspension and a little bit of the beautifulness of uh, the actual chassis of the car. But when you compare that to tin top on boards, I, I really didn't find it jarring at all. Uh, but Jeansy, you are uh, friends with Will Buxton, and obviously you've been a fan of his for a long time. D- did you see what he was doing in the F1 paddock, giving out paddock passes and stuff? His presenting was so good, he just made me want to not do this anymore because it was performance art. It, um I, unfortunately, I missed a lot of his stuff. I saw his stuff during testing, but I didn't see a lot of his stuff over this weekend. But I've always rated Will really, really highly. Um, Everyone else can uh, go home. He's a top, top lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's head and shoulders above the rest, which I think is why F1 picked him up to do the stuff for him, for them. Yeah, the new shows they've been doing on uh, YouTube and the streams and stuff have been uh, fantastic. And I love the new, the, the new graphics. I think they look um so sleek i mean i went and looked at the old logo and it already looks massively outdated uh and you know in that classic um style it, it looks proper now um there the, there are one or two minor tweaks that they could make i mean the font isn't brilliant 
and uh, it's quite difficult to to read. It's quite small in the tower. Uh, I'd quite like some tire information as well, just uh, like who's on what tire at that given moment, um, especially in the final results as well, because they used to have that and they don't have it anymore. Um, and the thing you, you can like go on the F1 app and it will tell you about tire data, but you have to pay for it, which is criminal if you ask me. Uh, and there seems to be a trend at the moment in motorsport, and I don't know why. I really don't know why, but whenever it gets to like a pit stop phase or uh, there's a, a safety car, a virtual safety car, they cover up the lap counter to display that information. Why are you doing that? Matt, tell it's Chris not... why he's wrong now. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> this may take a while, everyone. Settle down. Uh, let me get this straight. F1 is the sport. You love the sport. You watch the sport. You want to report on the sport, but you're not willing to actually give it money so it can survive. This is not really the kind of optimal strategy that I would employ. Number one. Number two, if you're going to pay for anything, pay for the app because yes. all of that information, all of that raw data. I pay a Sky subscription to watch yeah. it. I, I pay a, size, a Sky subscription to watch it. So why should I have to pay to get extra information? All that information should be in one place. I shouldn't have to go to 12 different places because to get should, the information that is vital to a race. Really? Because it should be free for you? Sky should personally give you all that information? For well, I pay them to give it to me. You pay them for the tea. The, for right. the Lads. Trumpet, settle down, settle down. Let's hear from Nick. Nick, you bring it okay. down with your smooth American style. Yes, my neutral American Northwest accent, which will put everyone to sleep. I agree with both of you. I believe that if you really enjoy something, you should be willing to pay actual dollars for it. On the other hand, the lack of the most basic tire information on screen for people who pay for cable is absolutely criminal. Why do I should be able to know which compound which driver is on and I'd go so far as to say how many laps they've been on it and whether they've used that tire compound before, whether it's scrubbed. Sure, pay extra for, for more, but this is basic information, is it not? It's it's three pounds a month for premium access. It, but you want – I understand that you want Chris to pay for this, but do you want everyone to pay for this? Shouldn't the casual fan be able to know which tires people are on? Casual fan doesn't care what tires they're on. Uh, I disagree. I mean they can be a casual fan. They could be coming – crossing over from a different sport. What if they're primarily a fan of another series? They're they're intelligent enough to understand compounds, Especially, but it's not their favorite series. They're not willing to pay for an app. Especially when it's such a fundamental part of race strategy as well. I've lost complete control of my panel here. The final thing I would say of why the app is such good value, I can, I can see your points. Uh, basic information we used to have. Although they did start doing the car-to-car split, and it was a nice, big, bold graphic that was easy to understand. So Hamilton is 0.6 behind Vettel. Next sector, he's now 0.7. That was really good. I really, really like that. Um, but on the pit stops... On the little app, you can see exactly where the cars are and track them trumpets. And that that really, really enhanced my enjoyment of the race. Yeah. And uh, Stuart Neal brings up the interesting point. Why pay for Autosport if I pay for dot, dot, dot? Uh, I don't understand, but I'll assume that's intelligent and I'll catch it in the post-production. Who does I just... write for? Oh, right. <laughs> right. Can I just make one more point before I'm sure Spanners wants to move on from this topic? And it's that... Even if I did pay for the F1 app, I don't want to look at my phone or my tablet and be looking at the TV. Honestly, me personally, I'd be interested to get some feedback from people. I just 
I just want to look at one thing. No, 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 no. I, I can't. I can't even watch a movie without having IMDb open and second screening. Like I, I never. Oh, you millennials. I'm 37. I never have less than two screens at any one point. Uh, guys, we are running short on time. It's been a fantastic chat. There's loads of subjects we didn't get to. Maybe we'll have um, a midweek show. Maybe we'll go into more depth next Sunday. Maybe we'll even have a trumpet's time. I tell you what, though, there are some really exciting guests coming up. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but the next month is going to be a great time to listen to Missed Apex podcast. So make sure you follow me at Spanners Ready and Matt at Matt pt 55 and subscribe to the show on your podcast app don't rely on us to tell you where the show is make sure if you're on pocket cast on android dog catcher something like that or itunes that you are subscribing to us and that you're regularly getting our shows appear in your podcast app if you're struggling to do that get in touch with us at missed apex f1 we will help you nick I'm just laughing because Vanjin is holding up his phone to the Skype camera, hoping that you can read it, even though we've explicitly told him in the past that we cannot, in fact, read it. Well, we Although, given him he that instruction. is trying to remind you of comment of the week. No, we're nowhere near that. Right, okay. So, well, then he's just even more wrong. You've just wasted all our times, Jeansy. Not, not only have you done the thing that is infuriating as we all struggle to see your phone you've not bothered looking at the show notes to see what's coming next and you've interrupted the show massively and nick you facilitated him so don't get too smug look we're going to the podium everyone shut up i'm so sorry it's the first race of the season we'll skip the court martial on this occasion look what we do on Missed Apex podcast race reviews is we end the show by giving out some awards. So we have the good thing of the weekend award. Who should we go to first? Who's in my good books? Chris, believe it or not, you're the least annoying member of the panel this week. Who do you think gets the thing of the weekend? I'm, I'm honoured. Um, I would have to say the, the debut of Last Name and Last Name, uh, <laughs> who I think were just sublime. This weekend. Okay, so of course you're referring to the fact that somebody had not written over the default program for the graphics and it displayed a delta from last name to last name. Yeah. I don't want to, like, you know, take the mic too much because it's probably actually like a really difficult job. And, you know, I think you're allowed a a, a slight boo boo every once in a while. It's a loosener, isn't it? All right, then let's go to Matt Trumpets. What's your thing of the weekend? Uh, Lewis Hamilton's pole lap. That was the thing, uh, not of the weekend, but probably the entire season. I've not really seen anything like it ever. It was phenomenal. The only thing that takes the shine off that is that we didn't get to see what Bottas had done. But what gives us a clue is that he was regularly throughout practice and throughout qualifying in that position. And then the difference in that final run, if it's true that he didn't have a party mode just for that last Q3 run, then yeah, that was an absolutely phenomenal lap. Let's go to Alex Jeansy Van Jean. What was your thing of the weekend? Well, Matt just nicked it. Um, but I'm actually then going to go back and still say qualifying and say um, uh, the Hasses. I think they were brilliant in qualifying. I think that was a phenomenal performance, something we haven't seen from them ever. I'm going to agree with on the gas. Thing of the weekend, Ricciardo's race pace he was on it he was aggressive he had the attitude they said do you want to back off a little bit do you want to back off Kimmy and then attack him again he's like no I don't want him to breathe mate that's that's what he sounds like and also that's what Steve the video guy sounds like too 
I am surprised you did not go for Hamilton's radio message where he said, uh, can I push? Can I push? I'm going to push. I'm going to push. Real- I-, I love how he tells him, he goes, you want this. You know, you're, you want me to do this. I'm going to go for it. And to be fair, he did. He absolutely went for it. Yes, he went off track, but he was willing to die on that hill and he did. Uh, so we can't accuse him of leaving too much on the table. Nick Alexander, what was your thing of the weekend? I was going to go for Haas because that is my hometown team. But since that's been taken, I'm going to say McLaren exceeding expectations. So after the abysmal testing that they had, I think it was Zach Brown. It may have been Boulier saying we might not finish the race, but they both came home in the points. Fair enough. Now, unfortunately, it's the bad thing. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex this weekend for you? I'm not going to say the obvious one. Uh, I'm in fact going to go for Toro Rosso and Honda, unfortunately, um, because I think as we sort of feared, once put in a competitive racing scenario, the wheels come off the wagon a little bit on the uh, Honda power unit. Where should we go next? Trumpets. Who missed the apex, buddy? Hmm. That's kind of a tough one. Oh, wait. No, it's not. Williams. Wow. Yeah. Now, the thing that got me most about Williams that actually made me yell at the TV, I actually yelled at the TV, was in qualifying when Lance Stroll whooped and cheered for sneaking into Q2. Williams should not be whooping and cheering for getting into Q2. It, it really, really hurt. I'll be honest. If Sauber beats you like a gong, it's not a weekend to be proud of. No, and I think Stroll was the last genuine runner, if you like. I think he only yeah. had Hartley behind him, who had suffered some problems. He Not only did he flat spot and have to pit lap one, he had a subsequent puncture. <laughs> so he go. was a lap down. So so yeah. the Toro Rosso to me is like uh, no data other than the MGUH fail. So I would say Williams have got a long way to prove to us that the philosophy of going for engineering with money over talent is the right way to go. Let's reserve judgment. Doesn't look good so far. Nick Alexander, who missed the apex for you? You're not going to let me defend my North American driver first? Of course you can. Uh, hang on. Just let me note down where I'm going to edit this to save your reputation. But do go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, fine. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I noticed, take from it what you want, but he beat his teammate in oh. qualifying by the largest margin of anybody. Uh, go on. What was that margin? I think it was seven tenths, but it was six places on the grid. Must be so tough to beat the rookie who's never been to that track before. We talked... Oh, I'm sorry. We talked at testing and we said, what will Sorokin have to do? And it was, he needs to beat the pants off of Stroll in qualifying. And I know it's the first race, but I would have thought that he would have been closer if if he's so good that he beat Kubica to a seat that he should have beaten Stroll in qualifying. And we'll wait and see what happens for the rest of the season, of course. That is fair. I didn't expect that margin, to be fair. How much did he beat Kubica by? Uh, How many million? I don't know. (laughs) Fifteen. So I'd like to say who missed the apex yes. for me, if I can, is the ESPN coverage in the United States. I heard about because this. It, it, it was even worse than NBC. It had just as many commercials, but they didn't have their own commentators. So they didn't have anybody on to tell you what you missed during the commercial break because they just patched back through to the Sky commentators. So they would go to commercial mid-sentence and they would come back mid-sentence. Trumpets? You know what's nuts about that is they could give me like a hundred bucks and I'd sit there and do that. <laughs> so uh, there was there were so many commercial breaks that I wrote down all the laps that they were on and I I went and I ran away from the microphone a second to get my notebook. I 
if time permitting, I could read how how often we went to commercial Who in the US. Who doesn't want to hear really a list of numbers? Go for it. I don't. I don't think the UK viewers understand how many commercial breaks we're talking about. We were on picture-in-picture commercial on lap six, lap seven, lap eight, lap 13, 14, 15, lap 25, and 26. We were on picture-in-picture commercial during the restart. I've got like 10 pages of notes here. Anyway, you get the idea. There was a lot of commercials, and we missed missed lap six when I think three cars retired. We had no idea why Sorokin retired. had no idea why Erickson retired. And like I said, they didn't explain it to you when they came back. And then we missed the restart from the safety car it's unacceptable do you know what it's idle thumbing through a notepad and reading out just lots of numbers i'm sorry that's got us to 75th in the itunes chart trumpets oh blackout 19 nick the accountant has a list of numbers (laughs) i'm shocked nick interesting alexander I want to tell you, it was a plastic bag and the brake duct that did it yeah. to Sorokin in case it you It was Kubica's sandwich bag. And <laughs> there you go. I'm surprised nobody mentioned Sign's uh, drinks bottle as, as, as a thing that missed the apex or most obviously of all, Max Verstappen, because he done literally missed that thing. Well, Jeansy hasn't had a go yet. Jeansy, huh? who missed the apex for you? I haven't had a go. I considered all of those, but the thing that got me the most was at six o'clock in the morning, some bloke playing bagpipes really, 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 really badly. And there was nothing. I, I, I have no idea why they played bagpipes. Seriously. Nobody wants to hear that. Bagpipes. Badly is the only way to play bagpipes. <laughs> yeah, but this was badly on something that was played badly, badly anyway. Yeah, I know. Oh. I, I've, heard, I've heard the bagpipes played really, really well, and it's still the most terrible thing you could possibly wish to hear. I think Ross from Friends would have played it better. Sparkles? That's a, that is a very hip Friends reference there, Alex. I'm very proud of you. Um, it's the second I... Friends reference I've made during this podcast. I made it in the chat room earlier. Oh, actually. Oh, I remember. Um, <laughs> uh, can I explain the science thing? Go. Uh, so basically, uh, his his water pump the, the for the drinks bottle was uh, a little bit broken it, it within about i think 15 laps or so it had emptied and he had had to kind of swallow all of it and so he had quite a full stomach and it is obviously it, trying to put it lightly moving around a lot when you're going through corners with you know four or five g and it nearly made him throw up uh so i think for him to have gotten the position he got in those circumstances is actually quite impressive well, while you guys think if you've got a Pony Award at all, I'll once again agree with On The Gas, who, from an extremely busy chat room, by the way, this week, a record-breaking chat room, sorry we didn't get more time to go to you, uh, obviously we've had tons and tons to talk about, it says no one is going to mention Bottas for missing the apex, well I will then, because I haven't had a go, it's very, very disappointing, you feel like he's got the raw pace, you feel like he should be able to compete, but he keeps making the mistakes you don't expect him to make, dropping it during the safety car, not getting together that qualifying lap, ending seven, eight tenths behind Lewis Hamilton. He is in serious danger now of losing that seat. In fact, I think it's almost a given. The, the vultures are circling already, even after race one. And the the it's not just the, his performance going forward. It's the fact that he's put all that pressure on himself, Jeansy, from race one, from corner one. We talk about him being under pressure. Have you noticed how in every single question Daniel Ricciardo had this weekend about his contract, he was completely non-committal. He wants that Mercedes seat. And, and it would be good to see. And uh, I think Ricciardo would 
absolutely welcome comparing himself to the very, very best in the world. We got any pony awards for the panel? Is this, oh, oh I'm, I'm seeing hands up. Okay, let me play the bumper then. I've got, I've got to find it. Here it is. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Misjudged the volume on that. Not going to edit it. You can all suffer along like we just had on the live stream. Nick, who gets your pony award for childish, impish, petulant behaviour? So it didn't seem like there was too much whining on the radio from what we're used to, but I'm going to go back a little bit and I'm going to say McLaren whining about Ferrari hiring the deputy race director. Well, that's good. Have we got more pony awards coming in from Sparkles and Trumpets? Let's go Trumpets. Well, I'm also going to say McLaren uh, for whining about Haas's copied car because they beat them in qualifying. Trumpets? That's what I was going to say. But unlike unlike certain other people, I actually am, am polite. Yeah. And even though Spanner's called my name, I have my hand up first. Can't listen to any. Yeah. And and who's yeah? Okay. You you take that up with Spanner's after the show. Well, I'm giving the pony award to my entire panel this week. I hope you've enjoyed. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the lively debate we've had. <laughs> Certainly, loads to talk about between now and the Bahrain Grand Prix. I think we are in for another fascinating season. The cars at the top are close enough. It's not going to be a runaway dominant performance by Mercedes. They need to bring their A game if they want to bring this championship. So tune in. We've got good guests coming up. We have news. But before we go, I mean, I would never forget something as important as... Comment of the week. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's the comment of the week? Yep. Comment of the week. Um, well, uh, as I'm as I'm trolling through the nine thousand comments I've curated, I have to point out the chat room would like to vote for Kemi for for the Pony Award for his complaints about about not being told of Vettel's pace. Um, and at the top, Dom Burn Sparkles. That's what the player is for. I can't abuse MLB in real time. Meaning, uh, he he would rather stay in the chat room than go off to Top Gear. Yes. Stop. Um, Will everyone stop drawing attention to the fact that Top Gear is on at the same time as this? Damn it, I just did it. Rob Graham, looking forward to Ferrari party mode. Uh, Christopher Fonseca, I don't know if he's excluded from winning or not. I reckon Vettel has a, quote, safety car request button on his steering wheel <laughs> that breaks something on the Haas cars. Aringo Bingo is, I am so ready to hear Matt say Botas. There you go. Um, last name, first name, K-Mag, was very impressive today from Dom Byrne. Controlled Viking Rampage mode was engaged. Uh, Henry Fongo. No, here we go. Rob Grant. Cross-eyed wheel gun guys. Lol. Um, Bradley complaining about Sparkles Boilers. Andy Whitney. D's Nuts, who, if you don't know, actually ran for president over here. Uh, Coco Bun. F1 Coco Bun. Sparkles facial hair. Is it fully connected now, or is that a shadow? Nope. Neither. Neither. Um... Uh, Neuropian Erickson has only recycling potential. That's why Tetra Pak boss likes him so much. And uh, then, of course, Neuropian. One more time, you guys should try the Belgian commentators on free to air before complaining. And none of those are going to be comment of the week because I reckon it should go to uh, Alex Boyer uh, after the uh, comments you made a few minutes ago. So Trumpets gets the Pony Award. Yeah, we'll give him that. Yeah, we'll give him that. What's his name? 
Uh, Alex Boyer. Good. It's nice to have a new winner. You are the winner of... Comment of the Week. Sorry, we've overrun. Remember to follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Check out all our stuff on the podcast website, www.missedapexpodcast.com. You can do that with forward slash buy stuff to get the mug. And you can remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.